Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the way that we were doing it before everything got better. Uh, thank you so much to all of you who had well wishes uh, and sent well wishes and prayers toward our family. Um, we were not directly exposed to anybody, but we were exposed to people who were exposed uh, to somebody. So that's why we're not in church this morning, but we got the tests back uh, late on Saturday evening, and they were negative. So um, we would have been together this morning, except that it was too late to go ahead and call off uh, what we had put in motion to cancel services for the sake of everyone's safety this morning. So we're back doing things on distance, and we'll be back on our regular phasing back in Sunday morning schedule uh, next week. So I uh, look forward more than you know for, <laughs> for having everybody back here. So uh, for this morning, we're just going to do what we got to do. And we'll be back on the path next week. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive back into the series in Revelation we've been going through from Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21. So I want you to pray with me now. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to study your word together. Uh, Lord, that you pray, pr we pray that you would bless us um, in these turbulent times uh, to take a step back and think about what your scripture tells us we should be saying how your scripture tells us we should be thinking, how your scripture tells us we should be treating each other. And Lord, we pray that we would honor you by doing that, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I did something this week that I don't normally do, and I'm just going to be really real with you. And frankly, I'll be honest. I'm excited that I am preaching on video right now because that means uh, if this is the first take and it goes exactly the way I want it to, then this is the one you'll see. But if I misspeak, I can go back and I can make sure that I say exactly what I want to say. Um, I did something this week I normally don't do, and that's write a full manuscript of every word that I plan to say. And I'm probably not going to read it directly because that's just, uh, that's monotonous, that's, that's boring, that's, that's atonal. I don't really want to do that, but I am going to make sure that um, I say some specific things I wanted to say. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into God's Word, and you'll see, hopefully soon, why I decided to do this. Uh, so, Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image." These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And, you know, we talked a little tongue-in-cheek earlier this week, if you were following us on Facebook. Um, I posted this passage and said the number one rule of dinner parties is don't show up to a dinner party where your name also appears on the menu. And then I told you that I'm going to tell you if you come to church today how to avoid getting eaten by apocalyptic birds. Well, obviously, that was a little bit of a joke uh, that uh, I, I don't anticipate um, anybody listening to this taking part in, in Armageddon as part of the army. Um, could be wrong. Um, but right now, what I want to teach you is you don't have to even get to a point where you would be thinking about that. 
Um, you can be on the right side of history by knowing Jesus today. You can avoid everything that we're going to talk about by knowing Jesus today. Um, but if you put it off and you play around and you dilly-dally, um, this world can poison your mind. and you, It can poison you against Christ the longer that you stay here and the more you reject him. Your heart can be hardened and, and you can miss an opportunity for repentance. Um, an opportunity that you really and truly have today. So, uh, having read these verses, I want to I want to ask you some questions. When you read the words of the angel standing in the sun, what what struck you? What was the most shocking part of it to you? Maybe it was just the sheer violence of his words as he called out to all the scavenger birds and was letting them know that God Himself was about to provide them with the largest collection of dead human bodies in history. And that by itself is a, a frightening statement, but if we don't look a little bit more closely, we'll miss seeing something that's truly rare, and that's equality on the earth. Who does God accept, leave out of this great supper? Does he leave anybody out? No, he didn't leave anybody out at all. If, you were pre if you're present at this supper, you are present on the menu. The birds are going to have their choice of kings and generals and soldiers, the rich, the poor, the slave, the free, the small, the great, the black, the white, the men, the women, the young, and the old. And the equality of the judgment poured out on such a diverse representation of humanity begs the question, is this really a diverse crowd at all? If such a diverse crowd receives equal and identical judgment from a perfectly fair God, is this crowd really diverse? Wouldn't a diverse group of people receive a diversity of judgments? If they all come to the same end, something has got to unite them beyond the distinctions that we can see. And whatever that something is, matters more to God than all of their perceived diversities. Knowing that such a common denominator exists, it would really be a good use of our time to look at this crowd and figure out whether any of us reading this scripture today share that same common denominator. Fortunately, our work is simple. The, the question has been asked and it's already been answered. The unifying feature that this crowd possesses is their warlike posture towards Jesus Christ and toward his people. The beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies, armies that are made up of a superficially diverse group of human beings, have arrayed themselves in battle formation against King Jesus. But this offense did not begin at Armageddon. This is merely the outworking of something that has been long in the making. No, these warriors took up arms against Christ long before they took their place on this battlefield. The kings and their subjects each, as individuals, pledged their allegiance to the beast long before this day, taking his mark and taking part in his worship. They turned their backs on the one true God, their creator, whose breath they used to curse him and those loyal to him. Their betrayal of King Jesus is their unity. It runs deeper than skin. 
It runs deeper than title. It runs deeper than class. It runs deeper than wealth. It runs deeper than ancestry or nationality. It is a communal failure to recognize the uniquely human purpose to reflect every single one of us the image of our creator and the common rebellion of this satanic army is one of cosmic proportion telling the creator and maker of the universe that his time as its ruler is over that's the unity that's what brings this group together Unfortunately for this group of rebels, the Battle of Armageddon is actually a misnomer. It's not actually a battle. Before anybody could ever fire a shot, the beast and the false prophet are captured and thrown alive unceremoniously into the lake of fire. And the all-powerful words of Christ slay the rest of the beast's leaderless army and the birds eat the most eventful meal of their lives. So this passage raises some pretty important questions about diversity and, and what it is and what it means, what really makes humans similar, what really makes us different. Because at first glance, the beast's army appears to be diverse, but was it? What difference is there by way of a thought experiment? Let's do a thought experiment. What difference is there between me and a white male American progressive atheist. Are we the same because we're white American men? What about the difference between me and a black female Nigerian conservative Christian? Are we different because of nationality, race, and language? I think if you were to examine both cases, you could find both similarities and differences. I happen to share a race, nationality, and like we gender and likely language with the white male American progressive atheist, but I would disagree with him on all of the fundamentals of life and the purpose of human existence. I think it would be very difficult to find any meaningful way to classify us as a unit beyond geography taxes and U.S. federal law. I think that's about the, the, the sum total of the similarities we share. Conversely, I share neither race, gender, nationality, nor likely language with my Nigerian sister, but we would agree on the fundamentals of life and the purpose of human existence. The common authority we both recognize in the Word of God and in the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ would render all of our other differences inconsequential. Intersectional academics and philosophers might beg to differ, but Scripture tells us there are only two groups when all are said and done, and that would be the sheep and the goats. In Matthew 25, 31 and 32, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory and the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. While the nations are brought before him, individuals are separated out. Sheep on one hand, goats on the other. Now there might be black sheep, there might be white sheep, there might be sheep with short wool, there might be sheep with long wool, there are some with horns, some without. 
Young sheep, old sheep, North American sheep, South American sheep, Middle Eastern sheep, sheep who buy a little bit differently, but it doesn't matter because they're all sheep because they all recognize the voice of their shepherd. And then there are the goats. The goats not only ignore the shepherd, but they ignore his sheep as well. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? This supposedly incredibly diverse army of the beast all gets the same treatment by Jesus when he shows up. Well, here's what I think we need to take from this. First, that our perceived differences matter less than we think. Second, that our actual similarities matter more than we think. And then finally, nothing matters more than what God thinks. So let's just go through this one point at a time. First, let's see that our differences matter less than we think. When you look at verses 17 and 18, you see this angel standing in the sun, you see him crying out with a loud voice, and, and he gives this list of, it's, it, it's unsettlingly kind of like a menu. Stop and look at the differences within this crowd. You've got kings, captains, mighty men, uh, horses, those who sit on them in the flesh of all people. Free and slave, small and great. They're all included in this group. What does all mean? All means all. That There's nobody left out of this. All of humanity is represented. And yet somehow, despite all of those differences, they all receive the same punishment. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what color they are, what language they speak, what wealth they possess. None of those attributes possess or confer moral virtue. Now, I'm not saying these differences don't exist. They do. And I'm not saying that we, shouldn't pre- that we should pretend that they're not there any more than when we should pretend that a master artist only uses one color to paint. An artist chooses distinct colors because when they're skillfully combined, they make beautiful imagery. Any of you who've ever seen Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, it is a masterful example of Impressionism. He blends the colors together and swirls and you, you look at them and you go, wow, this was really a master at work. But if he had only used blue, it, we wouldn't be talking about Starry Night today. It wouldn't be the masterpiece that it is. It would just be blue. No, you can, you can like blue. But just blue is not the same as, as Starry Night. And none of us would be talking about Van Gogh's skill in that painting like we are today. No, the use of variety is the mark of a master. So yes, God's made all of us in different colors, different shapes, different sizes. We shouldn't pretend that those aren't there. We should appreciate the beauty and the diversity and the differences that the master has used in making this work of art called humanity. We should appreciate that. We shouldn't pretend that they're not there. But what makes any of those colors valuable is their use by the artist. And that's exactly why the crime committed by this army is so heinous. They were all created by God as his handiwork, and they were intended to exist together for his glory. Instead, all of them, all of them together, rejected him, his goodness, and his design. They went to war against Jesus and against his people. All of their differences were washed away by their unity of purpose, a purpose that they could only agree upon because they shared a depravity of soul. We have always, as a race, 
as a human race, because by the way, that's the only race there is, been fascinated and distracted by outward differences. And God has had to remind us again and again and again that the heart is actually what matters. Jesus told a story once. You can find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, a Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said him who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus' Jewish audience would have instantly hated this Samaritan. For what? For what? Sure, the Jews had plenty to say about the things that the Samaritans had done over the years. But do you know what? The Samaritan in the story could have also had plenty to say about what other Jews had done. But even though these two groups had a long and hateful history with each other, had these Jews ever met that specific Samaritan? No. They had not. Had that Samaritan... Regardless of how he may have felt about the Jews, had he ever met this Jew? No. He'd never met that specific Jew he found on the side of the road. No, Jesus' audience hated a man they had never met just because of a group he was part of. Jesus made the point that a Samaritan can do good and a Jew can refrain from doing good. Good was the same for both. Evil was the same for both. What matters most is not what those people do. It's not what they do. It's not what all of them do. It's what you do. And our external differences have nothing to do with the one moral law based on the character of the one God that governs us all. A law before which we all stand guilty. Romans 2, verses 12 through 16 says, As many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of their law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by the color of their skin. Is that what it said? God will judge the secrets of men by the money in their bank account, by the nation of which they are a citizen, by the language that they speak, by the political party they're a member of. No, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. See, it doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you have, what language you speak, what country you come from. You are 
under one moral law based on the character of the one God that is. And he will be the God that judges you and he will judge you based on that law which is based on his character. It doesn't matter what external factors there are. Stop looking for ways to pigeonhole people. They are not like that. Those people are all individuals. They are all men, women, boys, and girls made in the image of God, and they are all responsible for their own actions as individuals. They should neither be condemned for the sins of their forebears nor rewarded for the virtues of their forebears. If God at his throne of judgment will not take them to task for those that came before them, why should you? If God's not going to reward them for the actions of those that came before them, why should you? Do not attribute guilt to a collective and do not accept guilt as a collective. You will answer to God for your own actions and others will answer to God for theirs. And he will judge us all by the same standard, no matter what differences there may be between us. We are all under the same moral law, and no group can claim an exception or a distinction. Our differences don't matter as much as we think they do. Our differences just don't matter as much as we think they do. You know what does matter more than we think? Our similarities. Our similarities matter more than we think. Look at this. Revelation 19, 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together. For what? To make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. After looking at their differences, which pale in contrast to the one moral law they all exist under, let's look at what makes these people similar. Revelation shows us the beast and it shows us the false prophet, but it also shows us the armies lined up behind them. These people have not been forced. They have not been coerced. They agree with him. They stand for what he stands for, and that's why they stand with him. What's scary is the resemblance this passage bears to the world as we're experiencing it right now. We recognize all of our differences, and we're longing for a leader who can unite us. Will the day finally arrive when a leader will step up and bring us into real harmony, not just in this country, but across the whole world. Humanity's tired. We're tired of wars. We're tired of strife. We're tired of poverty. We're tired of sickness. We're tired of fear. And we want somebody to fix it. And we want somebody to be in charge who truly has our best interests at heart. And that's true of everyone. Nobody doesn't want this. Right? Find somebody who doesn't want what I just described. Every human wants that, and Satan, by the way, knows this, okay? Satan's very first lie in Genesis 3 was to convince Eve that God did not actually have her best interests at heart. He wanted, he just wanted Eve to believe that God was keeping the best away from her. It was actually Satan. If you listen to him, Satan was actually the one that wanted Eve to reach her true potential. All she had to do was stop listening to God and start listening to him. And just like that, the human race was doomed. Eve listened to the snake instead of God. Adam listened to Eve instead of God. And on down the line, 
every single one of us continues to listen to everybody except God and allow Satan to do things like convincing us if God was truly good and all-powerful, there wouldn't be suffering in the world. When the truth is there's only suffering in the world because humans listen to the snake instead of God in the first place. Humanity languished for years just in the book of Genesis, gradually drifting farther and farther and farther away from knowing the God who created them until finally... In Genesis 12, God called a man named Abraham and suggested that maybe, 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 instead of trying to do things Abraham's way, he should try and do things God's way. And from that point on, humanity can be divided into two and only two camps, those who listen to God and those who don't. That is our true similarity. We're all caught between dueling positions. Anyone who tells you that there are really more camps than this is lying to you. There are only two. Either you know God or you don't. Everybody in this group bears similarities to this. Everybody in this group bears similarities to this. There's only two groups. You're either with God or you're against them. And what you do with Jesus Christ is the definitive expression of which group you belong to. Once you look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 33 through 36, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he'll also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. No matter your skin color, your nationality, your sexual language, your socioeconomic level, you are one of two groups. Either you are for Jesus or you are against them. And sure, being against them comes in all kinds of different flavors. But all of those different flavors converge here at Armageddon. Antichrist is nothing new. Everybody likes to talk about Antichrist like he's a new character that pops up. Antichrist is not new. He's just the purest form of an old poison. He is vintage babble. Belief that humanity can be its best on its own with no God required. Their belief in the poison that is Antichrist, that's what makes this crowd similar. They believe they don't need God. They believe that they don't need Jesus. They believe that this idea that there is sin in their soul that separates them from a God who made them to love them they don't need that. That's not real. That Jesus was just some guy who got killed for rebellion against the Roman Empire. They don't see his death on the cross for what it really was. The ultimate show of the love of God for them. 
a debt being paid that they could not pay in a thousand eternities. How could you be against that? People are, and they will be. Those are the only two groups there are, those who are for Jesus and those who are against him. But now let's flip this. If the army is similar because of their hatred of Christ, what about Christ's army? What about those who know Christ? Let's look at them. Because they're from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation too, aren't they? Absolutely they are. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. See, the thing is that the people of God, they're of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people too. They're a diverse group of people, but when you see them, what do they say? What do they say? Look at the text. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That their tribe, tongue, people, and nation was a starting point, but it was not the way they defined themselves. The way they defined themselves is by the one who bled and died to redeem them and save them from their sin. They weren't talking anymore about uh, uh, this color follower of Christ or that color follower of Christ or this an American Christian or an African Christian or an Australian Christian or a, a Russian Christian, a Chinese Christian. They're not talking about that anymore. They say you redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That that's an old identity we've left behind and now we derive our identity from you, King Jesus. They no longer... Are, are divided by all of these little temporal things. They are united in love and allegiance to Jesus Christ. They no longer fear war, strife, pain, or each other because they're united by Jesus. And somehow we've ended up in a world that loves to talk about what makes us different but spends no time talking about what makes us similar. Christian, you've got more in common with another Christian that lives across the world than you do your next door neighbor who rejects Christ. Christian, it would be preferable for your child to marry a Christian of a different race than it would be to marry someone the same race who rejects Christ. We should be identifying based on our heavenly citizenship over our earthly citizenship right now. I'm not saying earthly citizenship is a bad thing. I love my country. I do. But I'm saying at the end of time, at the Battle of Armageddon, there are only two flags. There's Jesus and everybody else. So I fly my Jesus flag before I fly any other flag I've got. I am on his side. I am on his side first. And I will be on his side last. Eventually, geography is not going to matter. Skin color won't, doesn't matter. Language won't matter. Money won't matter. But what will matter is who you are or who you are not in Christ. Here's what Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 16 verses of uh, uh, 17 and 18. That's a typo. It's supposed to say 17 and 18. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacle contra obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. 
For such persons do not serve the Lord, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Folks, please don't be naive. Please don't. Some of you need to step away from social media. Some of you need to step away from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else you're on that is convincing you everybody hates everybody else. Because Paul said it right here, that there are people out there who are causing divisions and creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Christians treat other Christians like Christians, like people that Jesus died for. And you know what? Treat everybody else like Jesus died for them too, because he did. Christians, don't spend your time imbibing people who are constantly telling you everybody hates you and you ought to hate everybody else. Hate people who look like this. Hate people who talk like this. Hate people of this race. Hate people of this nationality. Hate people of, of this descent. Hate people of this lineage. How about you just realize that God loved every single one of us enough to send his son Jesus to bleed for us on a Roman cross so that we could be called out of all of these petty little divisions and we could love each other because we love him and he loves us. How about that's what we talk about as Christians? Stop allowing Satan to just throw obstacle, obstacle, roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. Stop it. Avoid people who buy into that. And if you can't, I've discovered that the more time I spend reading what people comment about the news, the more depressed and anxious I get. You know what the solution to that is? Just stop. Just stop. Stop imbibing it. Stop taking it in. Reject that. Our similarities matter a whole lot more than our differences. But what matters more than our similarities or our differences is what Jesus thinks. What Jesus thinks matters more than any of that. Read verse 21, 20 and 21. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, I'm not going to spend much time talking about this because we've already talked about our differences and our similarities, but I want us to stop and look at this, that the beast is captured, the false prophet is thrown alive into the lake of fire, and look at the swiftness of judgment and look at where it comes from. The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. Now, at the risk of getting into a lot of symbolism right now, when Jesus appears on his white horse at the beginning of Revelation 19, it says he has a sword proceeding from his mouth. That's not a literal sword. That's symbolically referring to the words that come out of his mouth, which are the most powerful weapon in the universe. Jesus' words, his judgment, slays this entire army. Jesus lets us know exactly what he thinks about the rebellion of his creation, and it is terrifying. So let me encourage you right now. There's a lot of folks out there who want you to be afraid right now. They want you to fear. They want you to cower. 
They don't want you to speak the gospel. They don't want you to speak peace. They don't want you to speak love. They don't want you to say, hey, maybe we need to stop dividing ourselves into all of these little groups. They want us. They want us as a people. They want us, especially as a church, to be divided up, split up, arguing with each other, fighting with each other, and destroying our witness of unity in Christ. That's what they want. They want you to be afraid. So here's what Jesus had to say about that. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not be afraid of these folks who want you to keep your mouth shut about Jesus. Do not be afraid of people who want you to not speak love and life to your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you love somebody because they're a Christian, you tell them that. When you love somebody who's lost because you don't want them to suffer and die and go to hell, you tell them that. Don't be ashamed of the fact that your Bible teaches something different than that garbage that's coming in through your TV or your cell phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Do not be ashamed to say, you know what? I'm not going to venerate somebody or denigrate somebody because of how or where they were born. I'm not going to do that. The color of their skin doesn't matter. Their citizenship doesn't matter. Their language doesn't matter. Their wealth doesn't matter. What matters is they're a man, woman, boy, or girl made in the image of God who we are bound up by sin under a moral law that we've all transgressed. And God loved them enough to send his son to die for them just like he did me. So you know what? I reject that I am going to find reasons to compartmentalize humanity when Jesus was sent for every single one of us. Do not let these people divide you and do not let these people cause you to hate each other. Don't do it because that is not the gospel and that is not Christianity. Don't fear those who can destroy the body but cannot destroy the soul. Listen to Jesus. Look at this world with confidence and joy and peace knowing that Jesus wins. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So what do you do at the end of this? Do you want peace? Do you want stability? Do you want confidence? Give your life to Christ. Confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I know I'm a sinner. I don't get special treatment because of anything here on this earth. I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to die and go to hell. But Jesus, you died in my place. And you offer me forgiveness and I want to take it. I believe that you died in my place. I believe that you rose again three days later. And one day I'll rise with you. And you will call me out of my tribe, out of my tongue, out of my people, and out of my nation. And I will belong to you. And Jesus will forgive you right now. That's the opportunity you have today. And I want to encourage you to take those next steps. If you want to become a Christian and you don't know what that looks like, what that sounds like, reach out to us through email, give me a phone call, shoot, shoot me a message on Facebook. I'll be glad to chat with you about that. But I don't want y'all walking around in fear and walking around in hate. I want y'all to know that Jesus loves you. He always has. He always will. He loved you enough to die for you. So stop letting other people divide you by telling you that you're not worthy of love or that you're not loved, because you are, by Christ and by his people.
I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed, and we'll see y'all, hopefully, Lord willing, next Sunday. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. We pray that you bless this nation, that you bless this world. And Lord, help us to see that we're similar more than we're different. We're similar enough that you sent one Jesus to die for all of us and save anybody who would listen. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.